Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark and Rick Morton. All right, everybody, this is Rick Morton. Welcome again to the Think Orphan podcast. We're excited to be with you today. I'm joined by my co-host, Phil Dark. Phil, how are you today? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Uh, for those of you out there who are regular listeners, our loyal friends out there who who join us on a regular basis, you'll notice that that my voice is a little different here today. Um, you know, as Rick described it, it was, I, I believe the word he used was sultry. Um, but, <laughs> I've never, but, I've never... It Let's was, go on record. I'm I'm literally need need an attorney here. Or you are an attorney. What am I kidding? I will re- I represent you. Attorney. I don't trust attorneys apparently because I've never called you sultry. Well, you didn't you didn't call me sultry. It was an adjective for the voice, I believe. But um, that would get a little weird if you're calling me sultry. But anyway, uh, so but I do have a little cold. But you know what? The show must go on. We are here. Um, because we do want to bring you guys some some uh, really interesting and uh, things we can learn from. And that's that's something that we love to do on the show. And uh, a couple opportunities for learning, opportunities for really thinking differently and uh, asking some really good questions about how you can do what you're doing better and uh, in really every area that, you, that you're working and living. There's the Q Conference coming up in Nashville towards the uh, it's the week after Easter. I believe it's the 24th through the 26th of April, but it's the Wednesday through Friday in Nashville, Tennessee. It's a fantastic uh, conference that I will be at. I would love to meet you. If you're going to be there, let me know, and we can, we can hopefully meet up. Um, and then both Rick and I will be at KFO Summit, the Christian Alliance for Orphans Summit in Louisville, Kentucky. And that is the second week of May. And I'm forgetting the dates off the top of my head, but it's basically CAFO.org backslash summit. You can get all the information for that there. And that's early, early May. So both places are great places to learn. And, uh, you know, you can meet both Rick and I and at the, um, actually both Rick and me, uh, at go. the, uh, summit there in Louisville. Rick, you know, what do you have to say about the summit? Man, uh, absolutely one of my favorite uh, gatherings of the year. So, uh, and it's actually uh, May seventh, uh, eighth, ninth, and tenth, depending on if you're there for uh, for pre conferences. But love it because it's just it's a time when we get to really hang out with our tribe. So, lots of people that are you know committed to the same things and working in the same space that get together. Um, it's uh, reasonably a place of um, a lot of you know. There's not a lot of ego floating around. It's just a lot of people that are really trying to uh, help each other and and to to do what God has called us to uh, into uh, in orphan care. And so it's it's a lot of fun. It's like a it's kind of like a family reunion every year um, for us to be able to get together. So pretty pumped about uh, about doing that, getting a chance to lead a couple of a uh, couple of sessions along the way as, as well. So it's going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's like a family reunion complete with crazy uncles. And uh, the people that you try to avoid. So, you know, there aren't many of those, though. So I'm just totally kidding. Folks out there, totally kidding. If you're wondering if you're one of those people, you're not because there aren't. So it's good. Um, no, such a great place. Such a great. I totally agree. What a great few days to be able to just connect with friends and be able to be at one place at the same time. You know, there's a few people every year that aren't able to make it. And they're always missed. Um, and, uh, so if it's your first time and you're thinking about coming, definitely make it happen if you can. And it's, you know, it's, it's funny that we're talking about CAFO in Louisville, um, with this interview, because today we have Marissa Stam of the Salampta Family Project. Marissa is the executive director of Salampta. And in this interview, Karen, Hutchison, who lives in Louisville, I'm not going to give you her address, first of all, I don't have it, secondly, I don't want you stalking her out there, you know, all you fans and the paparazzi, so, but she is in Louisville, and um, she was able to do this interview with with Marissa, who is her friend, and she's working with Salamta in some different ways, and uh, I, I learned a lot from it. I love doing, you know, being able to talk about some of these interviews that I didn't actually do the interview, because I'm learning right alongside you guys out there. And so I know Rick in this instance as well, um, the same thing. So 
So folks, you know, as I always ask, I hope that you're engaging this conversation, not just by listening to it and, you know, thinking about it for a little bit, which is great, but also, you know, sending us some questions, sending us some thoughts, you know, feedback on how we're doing, how we could do this better. Any other people that you think we should be interviewing, you know, that's the engaging in the conversation that we really hope happens here. Um, and so I, I really do hope and pray that you are doing that and that you're able to, um, just really engage this conversation with us here on Think Orphan in, in real way. So without more from me, here is a great interview with Marissa Stam by Karen Hutchinson. Hey guys, welcome to the Think Orphan podcast. This is Dr. Karen and I am so incredibly excited to have one of my very good friends, Marissa Stam, on the show today. You guys are going to absolutely love the podcast today. You're going to love the information that she has to share with you guys and I couldn't be more excited for you all to hear about her organization. Marissa, I know a lot about you, but please tell our listeners um, who you are, uh, what are you doing, how are you involved with orphaned and vulnerable children? Well, uh, hey, Dr. Karen, thank you so much for having me on. First of all, super excited um, to share with you and your listeners today. And um, as Karen said, my name is Marissa Stam. And I am the executive director of Salamta Family Project. Um, I live in Florida, so it's a little warm today, as you can imagine. Um, and we run Salamta Family Project. Um, Salamta is um, basically focused on recreating family for those who have lost their own. Uh, we restore family dignity and hope to vulnerable children and families. Um, we're headquartered in Lake Placid, Florida, but all of our programming takes place in Ethiopia. Awesome, that's so good. I'm so, so excited. Our listeners know that I have a special uh, personal connection to Ethiopia. I think our listeners should know this. My two big kids are Ethiopian. Um, and so anything having to do with Ethiopia, I definitely get um, even more excited than usual. And our listeners know that that is pretty exciting. So um, Marissa, tell us a little bit more about the model for Salamta. Is Salamta an orphanage? Is it an orphan care community? So Salamta is not an orphanage. Um, Salamta Family Project is actually made up currently of, of 10 forever family homes. Um, we call them forever family homes that are spread across a neighborhood. Um, we also have a community center that is within walking distance of each of our homes. And so when I say forever family home, um, what I mean by that is that we have eight to 10 kids who have been brought together, united uh, with a Salamta trained mom and they come together at one time. They move into a regular family home in the neighborhood. Uh, you can't tell one of our Salamta homes from a traditional family home next door. And uh, they come together all at once, um, usually made up of uh, sibling groups. Um, often it's older children, like eight and over, um, who aren't easily adopted or who can't get into other orphan care programs. Um, and, and like I said, sibling groups, and they come together and uh, form a brand new family. And one of the things that's really unique about Salamta's Forever Family Program is that it is permanent. It is not a group home. Um, it is not temporary care. It is not foster care. Um, it is a, a permanent recreation of family for children and marginalized women. And our moms that come to us, many of them do have a biological child or two that become part of that family of eight to 10 kids and the Salamta mom. Each of our 10 families is fully supported um, by the organization, but also fully supported in resources by our professional staff in Ethiopia. So our entire team is Ethiopian national, and we kind of build this, this foundation of family on four cornerstones of education, health and wellness, psychosocial support, and spiritual and life skills development. So we have professional staff that focus on those four areas that our families have access to 24 seven. Okay, now I know Salamta, um, our listeners probably have figured this out. Um, I do know Salamta. I've actually um, seen Salamta in real life in Addis and um, have had the absolute privilege of doing a little bit of consultation with Salamta Family Project. Um, 
And so I just want to hear once again for our listeners, because I've got to tell you guys, with as much work as I've done internationally, I wasn't really tracking with the model of Swampta until I actually saw it. So Marissa, I want you to repeat yourself. <laughs> um, so it's not an orphan care community. It's not a group home and it's not temporary. Is that accurate? That is totally accurate. We are an in-country family-based, community-integrated solution to the orphan crisis. Um, you know, it's really important for us that our, our kids get to remain in their culture. Um, focusing on the family unit is is critical because that's, that is how we grow, right? Like it, that's been proven through how many studies that children belong in a family. Um, but we also live in a broken world. And so trying to... Um, allow for as many kids as possible to have that family experience in the middle of all of that brokenness, whether it is due to extreme poverty, AIDS and HIV, um, or other circumstances that leave families broken apart. Um, Salanta exists to be able to bring more children into permanency, more children into family, because we believe that every single child deserves to grow up in a loving stable family. And so that's exactly what um, our goal is with Salamta. And in doing that, um, it's long, it's for the long haul. You know, it isn't a temporary program. It isn't a couple of years. Um, we are 12 years in. Our families have been together now for um, anywhere from 10 to 12 years. And so this is a long-term investment in literally the recreation of family for, for those who have lost theirs completely. And um, we are, we think we're about um, three quarters of the way through the full life cycle of our first families, this first group of 10 homes. And one of the things that makes Salamta unique too is that our kids don't age out. Mm. You know, we have a lot of kids that came to us who were age grade mismatched. So, you know, they might've been 12 years old, but were still in first grade or didn't even have an opportunity to attend school um, prior to coming into Salamta. And so it's really important that each of our kids gets every educational opportunity available to them. And we don't think that that stops with graduation of uh, high school. So each of our kids has the opportunity to go on to some form of tertiary education, whether that is a vocational program or, you know, they, they make it to go through university. And uh, the way that Ethiopia is set up is um, it makes university um, fairly attainable uh, from, a, from a cost perspective. And so our kids are still a part of our forever family program all the way through that. And now once they've completed that formal education, um, completed their tertiary education, they're given a, a window of time to secure a job that can support them. Because if we have walked with a kid for 15 years and we cut them loose just because of a birthday, and they're not ready to be on their own, then what have we done? Um, so we feel really strongly that just like in our own families, our kids have to be ready to launch into independence. And that's going to look different for each kid. And so we're able to provide that kind of um, unique experience um, based on our professional staff that we have and uh, the training of our moms and you know being really culturally relevant. Because again, our, our team knows the culture. Our team is Ethiopian, and um, the you know the the program is um, based in the U.S., but that's from the perspective of um, being able to advocate and fundraise so that the resources that are necessary for the program to happen in Ethiopia can happen. I love so much the model of Salamta. I could talk about it for a couple of hours, I think, but I want you guys to hear a lot more from Marissa. Um, the model is so unique, guys. The model of literally being family-based, and, and I don't want to um, bag on any other family-based organizations that I know or work with, but it was unbelievable to really see in person um, the families. It isn't just a group home. It's truly families. Like I truly saw families living and doing life together. And I love that you guys have the idea of following the kids within the family, the young adults as they launch that, yes, they're launching from your home. You want them to be independent, but you're following them and they're still a part of the family. It's, it's, it's so beautiful. It's an amazing part of Salamta. You guys are doing such a great job there. So well, go ahead. What, I was just going to say one of the one of the most incredible things to witness is, you know, we have some kids who have launched into independence 
and to see them come home, to see them come home for celebrations or to see them come home um, to mourn or to see them come home um, just for a holiday, you know, or to say hi because they don't live too far away. That is one of the things that really tells us that, that we're on the right track, that we're doing the right thing because it isn't, it isn't a matter of, okay, I've done my time, I'm out of here. Um, it is a matter of really being connected for the long haul. And, and that's exactly what we've seen develop um, with our kids and our families at Salanta. You know, when I was there um, last November, I, I may, I, correct me if I'm wrong, Marissa, but when I was there last November, I remember um, there was an older young man who had either completed some job skills training or maybe some college classes, but he was like super successful with like entrepreneurship and a business that he had started. And one of his brothers in his home, now again, like probably some people, our listeners might be asking, are they really brothers? Are they biologically related? I'm not sure. And I actually don't think that they were, but they were brothers because they've grown up in (laughs) this home together. And I remember hearing, um, one of the the guys that was still living in the home, um, he was still in high school, I think, and he had these great aspirations to go to college. And he told me, he was like, yeah, my older brother, and then he said his name, said that he wants to help me pay for school, that he's working hard to help me pay for school. And I remember, like, I just wanted to ugly cry thinking, this is amazing. Like, this is family. Like, you have a kid who has launched and is independent and successful with a business. And one of his major goals in life is to help his little brother make sure he gets to go to college. That's family, that's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the expectation of this is family, this is permanent, was set from the very beginning, um, from the very beginning of the founding of Salanta. And um, that was the vision that our founder had, was that um, kids deserve to grow up in a family. And so how do we do that better? How do we how do we mirror that for kids who have lost their own families and in a culture or in a country where a system of foster care doesn't yet exist and a culture of domestic adoption isn't thriving yet? Um, how do we do that for this generation? And I think that that's what we're seeing be fulfilled right now is we're seeing that reality um, really coming alive right now in our forever family program. And so it gives us this just tremendous hope for what's possible because I believe that the children who've been served by Salanta so far, the next generation is gonna look so much different as a result of that. You know, these kids are going to be raising the next generation of kids and what they were born into, that's been restored. And now, you know, uh, the the young man that you were uh, referring to, I mean, he has, he has so much hope and his brothers and sisters have hope as well because they've seen what's possible and it's been done in the context of love and restoration. I love it. We could probably share even more stories. I do want to hear one more, <laughs> at least one more. Is there a, a story that you can share? Um, tell us about a story, another another child or teenager that um, is a part of Salamta. Just, I'd love for our listeners to hear one more of the amazing stories that Salamta Family Project has. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, every one of our, our kids and our moms comes with their own story. Um, you know, each and every one of them have um, walked through trauma that I'll never fully understand only because it, it hasn't been my life. But the um, the way that they walk through their trials and their difficulty and to see them um, come out on the other side. So hopeful. Um, one young woman that I want to share with you guys, she was one of our first girls to go off to university and um which was super exciting you know i mean as salamta has uh, progressed over the last 12 years this is all new right so we're walking through every stage of life with our kids and with our families we're walking through it all together for the first time and so this young woman went off to university um she was going to be one of our first students to graduate she did graduate she came home and she was terribly sick while she was um, at university, her health had declined. Uh, we didn't realize the, t- the degree to which um, her health had been declining when she came home. Um, everything really became clear and um, went downhill even faster. So here she is with a, one of the first students to have a degree actually in psychology. 
Hey. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and she was facing illness that we didn't understand. Um, she was going to specialists. Um, she was getting treatment, but we weren't getting any answers. And um, it was over a course of months that we finally, she was finally diagnosed with lupus. And so here we have um, a young woman who has a biological sister at Salamta. They had lost their parents, um, who was now facing her own autoimmune issue. And watching the rest of her Salamta family come around her, um, the kind of sacrificial love that moms know, right? Birth moms know. Um, Here was her Salamta mom, not her birth mom, but her Salamta mom, who was the one who was spending the night in the hospital with her because you have to, you have to have someone from your family stay with you. And um, here she was willing to do that. Um, And the rest of the family was constantly showing up and bringing food because again, that's what you, that's what you have to do. And that's what your family does. And we watched this Salamta family home do just that, but it wasn't just the children in the home and the mom of that home who were showing up. It was the entire Salamta community. Mm. And it wasn't just the entire Salamta community. It was the support of the neighborhood that we live in who were supporting this family in that process, just like they would for any other family. And for anyone who is familiar with, you know, working with orphan children and the stigma that so many kids face being an orphan, especially an AIDS orphan, um, or, you know, being under the impression that that you are an AIDS orphan, there's so much stigma that can come with that. Um, And to have our kids so fully recognized as contributing members to the community and watching that kind of community wrap around our families because of the way that our homes are are totally integrated into our neighborhood um, was amazing. And I'm super excited to report that after quite a long journey of trying to really um, define and seek the right medical intervention, this young woman is actually working now um, in a government office with a really great job and is preparing to launch into independence by the end of this year. I love that story. And and guys, there's so many more stories like this. And I know you may be thinking, oh, everyone has these tearjerker stories, all of these organizations, all of these ministries. And, and praise God, hopefully that is so. But I would strongly encourage you guys as much as possible to get involved with Salamta Family Project. Check out their website. Um, get connected. The stories of what God is doing in Addis through Salam- Salamta Family Project, it's its really quite phenomenal. It's its amazing. I'm so excited that you're on the show today, Marissa. I'm so excited, excited to, to have a small connection to um, this ministry. It, it, it's an amazing one. So speaking of connections, um, Marissa, like how did how did you end up doing this? Did you grow up thinking I'm going to be the executive director of an international organization and then help that international organization become an international ministry? Is this kind of your dream? Yeah, that's exactly how it happened. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> not even a little, um, not even a little. I, um, I grew up um, wanting to be a journalist. Um, I grew up not really knowing Christ intimately. Um, I always believed in God and, um, I believe that Jesus was who he said he was, but I didn't really know him. And so, you know, grew up, went to, went through college, started my career, all that kind of stuff. Um, got married, had a couple kids and, um, God started to really um, come alive for me and and wake me up um, when I was like 32 years old. (laughs) The ripe old age of 32. (laughs) So uh, about uh, 10 years ago, um, 2008, I was given the opportunity to uh, take a trip to Ethiopia. And it was interesting the way that all of that had been woven together over time. And I know now that that was just God pulling those strings, making that all happen, weaving it together. And I um, was introduced to Salamta's founder and they were organizing a women's trip over to Ethiopia. And I just felt like I was supposed to go and um, I couldn't really explain it. And, you know, my husband and I had two young kids, two and three years old at the time. And 
I was like, hey, I think I'm supposed to go do this for a couple weeks. And he's like, really? Because, you know, <laughs> we've got a two-year-old and a three-year-old and we both have jobs. And, and uh, I was like, yeah, but I, I, think, I think I am. And he said, okay. And so I went and um, I was introduced to this program that I could see was super cool, you know, but I really hadn't had any other international experience. Um, I didn't, uh, I had never experienced even really the foster care system. You know, I hadn't watched any family friends adopt or, or take in foster kids. And I didn't, I had no context for a lot of what I was seeing, but, um, I thought it was pretty cool. And I was talking to the founder and she said, you know, I said, I don't really understand like what, what's the alternative to Salamta? Like, I get that it's good. Like this, this is great. And I see what's happening, but what's the alternative and so we went out and we had really just, you know, been volunteering at Salamta, working at Salamta and hadn't really seen much else. And um, when we went out and had an opportunity to visit some of the places where her adopted children had come from, um, all of a sudden it became so real about what the alternative is. And, um, and I saw institutionalized care um, that wasn't a family home. And I saw, it was like God opened my eyes to actually see kids on the streets um, and that I hadn't seen when we were in our neighborhood. And all of a sudden I realized that now this was much bigger than what I understood. And um, this was after having been there for two weeks. And so I came home from that experience and God just started to work really fast in my life and in my family. And uh, he got us plugged into a church by the end of that year. And um I went back to Ethiopia in early 2009 to continue serving and volunteering. And I knew that I was supposed to be doing something else, but I didn't really know what that meant. And at the time I thought, oh, I should work for Salamta, but there really wasn't a way to do that. And um, God being God actually moved me away from my corporate job and into um, working in church leadership at the church that we had started going to. And um, so I was there for three and a half years uh, serving at the church in, uh, in a capacity of um, outreach. And it was through that opportunity that I introduced more friends um, and uh, fellow um, church members to Salamta because I was the one organizing trips going abroad. And so, of course, we had to go to Ethiopia. And I was there for about three and a half years. And then God moved our family to Florida. And I was serving on um, the board of Salamta at the time. And, um, you know, everything had kind of changed and I wasn't working and that was okay. And then um, our founder, it was, it was time for her to step out. And there was an opportunity for me to step in. And um, I had no idea that, that that's where we were going to end up. And so in 2014, um, God opened a door for me to come in and, and do what we're doing now. Again, I love that story. Thank you for sharing, Marissa. It is amazing how God's hand has been upon the organization and ministry for such a long time. And I do want to emphasize to our listeners, um, if you've heard, hopefully you have, but Salamta is not new. Like Salamta has been around for, Marissa, you said 12 years, right? 12 years, yeah. 12 years. And so that means that these families have been together for over 10 years. And we don't have to get into numbers and statistics, but I will say, and Marissa, you're welcome to if you want to, um, there's there's not a ton of turnover. This isn't like um, the families are being restaffed with moms every year or every 18 months. These are homes that have been with the same families for over 10 years. And it's absolutely phenomenal. Even when I... You can hear me. I get excited about it. I can't hide it. I'm trying not to be super biased, but I just am. So <laughs> um, one of the things that I just love about Salamta and was able to see in person um, was the amount of leadership um, in your staff and the amount of Ethiopian leaders. And so could you just tell us a little bit about how um, Ethiopians are involved in Salamta and, and why, why is that important to have leadership um, that is from the country that you're working and serving in? Absolutely. I mean, Salamta, the, the real work gets done, obviously, in Ethiopia. And that's the result of our team 
providing um, the necessary tools and resources that our families need so that they can thrive. And it's been important from uh, day one as our founder was establishing Salamta that it needed to be Ethiopian led and Ethiopian run. And um, so that's been something that I've had the privilege to be able to carry through in my time in leading the organization. And we have the most exceptional team of people um, they are so dedicated to the work. They are so dedicated to the mission. Um, you know, I, I felt like from the very beginning that that I was exposed ten years ago that Salamta, the families of Salamta, were part of my family, and our team in Ethiopia feels very much the same way. Um, everyone who's on staff there recognizes that it's not a job, and and that's something that we talk about um, in the hiring process. Is that listen, if you're just looking for a job, this is not going to be the right place for you. Like. Being a part of this, is it has to be a calling um, because it's hard, because you're walking directly into the middle of broken. And um, and there's a lot that's asked of us, you know, um, just in the nature of loving others that goes beyond uh, just a straightforward job description of these are the tasks and these are the roles and responsibilities. Um, it's a lot more than that. And um, and it really is a matter of, of building the kingdom at the same time. I mean, we, we have the opportunity um, to come around folks who have experienced such loss and such brokenness and and be a part of watching God restore what was broken down. And um, and that's, that's big work. And that's exactly what our team has signed up to do. You you mentioned that it's big work and that, um, you know, a lot is asked of you guys. A lot is asked of your staff, your Ethiopian staff. One of the things that um, I love about Salamta, I know I'm a broken record here, guys, but it's true. Um, you guys, you take care of your staff and uh, member care is important to you. Taking care of your staff is important. Um, could you just help our listeners hear a little bit about what that might look like or, or why do you think it's important um, to even consider member care? Is that something that organizations should really consider? Uh, it's absolutely critical. Um, and that was one of the things, you know, we were so blessed to have you come and, and work with us to, um, to better understand how we do that well. Um, you know, we knew that we know it's necessary, we know it's needed, and we need to be able to really implement and execute that because, Again, like the work that we're involved in, it is, um, it's very intimate and it can be very personal and um, you can't pour out when you're empty. That's right. And, um, and that is, and, and that's a real danger, you know, in the work, in the work that we do and the work that any, um, any organization who's working with um, vulnerable children and families. And um, so, you know, recognizing how do we, how do we always do this better and really, you know, are we aligned individually? Are we aligned appropriately? You know, am I encouraging my team to focus first on their relationship with God, to focus next on, for those that are married, focus on their marriage, um, and then focus on their own children, and, you know, then their extended family and friends, and then work. Yes. Because it's very easy to put the work in front of everything else, because it's good, yeah. right? Like, it's good, and it's important. And, and, it's and there's always something that's needed from you, especially when you're working with kids who have experienced trauma, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, and, and that runs across all of our cornerstone areas that I mentioned, right? Education, health and wellness, psychosocial support, spiritual and life skills development. Like, it doesn't just rest on the shoulders of our, of our psychologists. Mm -hmm. Um, it's across the board, you know, whether someone works for Salamta in, in finance or whatever, right. um, it runs the gamut because, um, you know, we're all collectively united in the work itself. Very good. It's, um, a huge part of organizational health. Our listeners have heard me go on and on about member care and the importance of it. And I just can't emphasize it enough. And, um, when it's done well, it usually, you see the impact in the communities and the families and the children that you're working with. And, you know, member care for our moms too. Um, you know, we were talking about member care for our staff, but um, while our moms are um, are paid a stipend, right, to do what they do in addition to being beneficiaries by, you know, having all of their housing and, and medical care and everything taken care of for them, just like our kids are, um, we have to make sure that our moms are given what they need. 
um, because they are the heads of household and they are the ones who are so tangibly pouring into each and every one of our kids every day and nurturing and, and helping them grow. And if they aren't cared for, they can't do it either. Mm-hmm. And um, so coming alongside them and making sure that, that they're giving, that they're given all the, the tools and resources that they need, but also being poured into and um, spiritually and in giving them outlets to be able to really negotiate and deal with um, the, the the reality of raising eight to 10 kids. You got <laughs> you it. Know? You got it. I mean, and, and it, and it's evolved over the course of 10 years, you know, kids that came to us when they were eight, well, you know, they walk through adolescence and now they're 18. And so the, the way that, um, that they were, you know, cared for 10 years ago looks much different today. And how do we make sure that our moms have all of the tools if they didn't get that kind of experience in their own families growing up to know how to really walk through all of those different phases of life? And that's such a relevant point. I know, again, in my time there, it was such a sweet time when I got to spend with the moms. And, you know, our, our listeners know, you know this, Marissa, that oftentimes in developing countries, women aren't valued as much as men. Yeah. And women tend to be um, undervalued and overworked and are doing so much of raising kids and trying to put pieces together and get their kids into education and find um, jobs to make ends meet. And so it can be very... Um, not normal culturally to even recommend that a mom take care of herself. And those are some sweet memories for me of watching um, Salamta moms really be cared for well and to hear um, Salamta staff members get very excited about planning to take care of the Salamta moms. And the whole point of that is so that they can then, obviously you want to take care of our moms, but also so that they can then have the energy and the patience and the strength and the endurance and the tenacity to then take care of the kids that are, they're raising, that are living right. in their home, whether they're eight or 18 or 28. Right. Right. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, in complete transparency, we haven't always done it well. And, and, and we, we, sometimes we get it wrong and, um, you know, we have had some mom turnover and that's really difficult. Yeah. That's really difficult. Um, but that's also reality. And so, you know, every time we recognize that we, that, that something hasn't gone the way that it ideally should have or could have, we have to learn from that. We have to um, apply that going forward. And so, you know, really the last 12 years have been this massive process and evolution trying to really figure out how do we do this well? How do we do this well so that if this is effective and if this works, which we believe that it does and we believe that it is. Yes. But if, if, you know, early on the whole conversation was, if that is true, then how do we prepare to be able to do this at scale? How do we, how do we prepare to be able to really have our forever family program be something that can be a solution to the orphan crisis. And yeah, you know, we, we start in Ethiopia and that's where, you know, God placed Salamta initially and where we've continued to, uh, to grow, but our, it certainly isn't isolated to Ethiopia. And so we're just eager to see, you know, what God is going to do in, in all of this and, and what, you know, the next five and 10 years is going to look like, especially once we've had a forever family that has fully launched into independence where all of the kids have grown and where our mom has moved into the next phase of her life. And so it's just tremendously exciting uh, to be a part of all of that. Yeah, God's been doing big things. I know specifically he's doing really big things even this week with Salamta, um, <laughs> which story. we praise his name for that. Um, I love that you're talking about learning and, and there's no perfect organization or ministry. As much as I get so excited about um, the organizations that I have the privilege of being connected with, um, there is no perfect organization. We all have things to learn. So speaking of that, what do you think, just kind of generally speaking, um, what do you think the world can learn from Salamta? Oh, wow. I know. It's a, I know it's a big one. It's a big one. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, I think beginning to get a glimpse of what's possible is what's so exciting. You know, I think sometimes we get stuck in what we know to be true um, by what we've experienced so far. So when we talk about um, caring for and working with orphan children, so often 
you know, the first thing that conjures up in someone's mind is, oh, it's an orphanage. And I, I think, you know, it's been um, really interesting for us to have to understand how to break that down and really be able to clearly communicate what Salamta is um, as opposed to um, having to focus on what it is not. And so what I hope the world can learn um, by our first 12 years in anyway, is that it is possible to care for children in a new way. It is possible um, beyond foster care and beyond adoption um, and beyond the orphanage to care for children so that they can have a stable family experience that allows them the opportunity to walk into adulthood and you know, begin raising up that next generation in a whole new way. And I think it gives me hope in knowing that the orphan crisis can be transformed. Um, what it looks like today isn't what it has to look like tomorrow. And to be a part of something that could literally be a transformation of that is pretty extraordinary. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you said, I think you said a glimpse of what is possible. And I think that's even a great definition of hope. And, and that's what, you know, we have hope in Christ. We have hope in uh, the possibility of, of innovation, the possibility of finding new ways to care for orphaned and vulnerable children, which is the whole reason that this podcast exists is how can we connect globally, figure out what's going on here, what's going on there, what's working and how can we learn from each other? That's the whole premise of this podcast. And we're so excited that you've been on the show today, Marissa. We usually end up the podcast with two questions that our listeners know we end with. And so we're going to go ahead and jump into those. So um, Marissa, what book have you recently read that has influenced your view of working with orphaned and vulnerable children? Oh, oh my gosh. Um, when Helping Hurts has been transformative for us in the last 12 months. Awesome. Um, not a new resource, right? <laughs> it's, it's been out there. No, um, we love I, it when it gets referenced. It's one of the top reference books on our podcast, which uh, is relevant. <laughs> and it's we can never read it too much, I think. Yeah, really, really applying um, the principles of When Helping Hurts into our Forever Family program and, and into um, some of the prevention work that we do and, and helping us understand, you know, um, what is it that we do with excellence and how do we do, how do we just do that better? Um, and, you know, you were talking before about collaboration. I think we have to be in this work together. No single organization is going to end the orphan crisis on their own. And so um, figuring out how do we collaborate well and what does that look like? And that definitely, that, that resource has done a lot for us in the last 12 months. Well, we'll definitely have a link to that resource. It's been linked multiple times before. Brian Fickert was on the podcast maybe last season, if not the season before that. So he's definitely a friend of the podcast, and we are incredibly thankful for everything that he's contributed to our podcast, to the book that Phil wrote, to all everything that he's doing there at um, his center. All right. So, Marissa, help us know. Tell our listeners. Let us in. Who is the person that has been the most influential in your life uh, related to caring for orphan and vulnerable children? I have to say that Salanta's founder, um, Carol Stone, has probably been the single most influential person um, in caring for orphan and vulnerable children because before her, I knew I didn't get it. I didn't, I didn't know anything. And I, um, I witnessed a passion in this woman and a courage um, that I believe was absolutely God given um, to do things differently and to seek out what, what were some of the, the solutions and not recreate the wheel necessarily, but apply what she knew to be true. And that was that every child deserved to grow up in a loving, stable family. And um, she was really my first glimpse at at what it looked like to care for orphan and vulnerable children in, um, in really tangible ways. And so I will forever be grateful to her uh, for letting me in and giving me a glimpse of what was possible. 
Well, we are so thankful that you met her and got connected with Salamta. I personally am so thankful that I got connected with you at KFO just a couple of years ago. And that's what it's about. It's about connections and collaborations. It's about working together. I love what you said. There's not a single person or a single organization that's going to solve this crisis. But by working together, by collaborating, we can learn from each other and and pray and learn of how to best work with kiddos and serve kiddos who've had hard stories and come from orphaned and vulnerable backgrounds. Marissa, thank you so much for spending time with us today on the podcast. What a privilege and pleasure to have you. I'm excited for our listeners to learn more, hopefully, if not learn about Salamta Family Project. We'll have links up. We'll have um, a lot of opportunities for you guys to learn even more about Salamta Family Project. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Dr. Karen. Well, Marissa and Karen, thank you so much for that conversation. Thank you so much. I just love the friendship that you can hear coming through on that call. I love the uh, partnership and some of the work you guys have been doing together. And I just really love what we we're able to to hear and think about and chew on and learn from in that uh, half hour or so that we were able to to listen there. So, Rick, what do you think? What what are what are the things that you want to talk about? Man, yeah, I uh, you know just really. Um, excited about the interview, really challenged by, you know, by many of the things that Marissa said. I, I think, um, you know, really, I, I love the the idea of, um, of a more holistic approach to orphan care. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they're really thinking carefully about, um, you know, about a multitude of issues and, and are, you know, active on, on many fronts. I think, you know, things as simple as their, you know, their kind of plan for community integration, the fact that they're not, you know, they're not building compounds and they're not, um, you know, they're not locating homes in, in places where they're, you know, where they're often isolated or they're not even using the model where, you know, where, where the compound becomes the community center, but they're saying, Hey, carefully, we're going to, we're going to place these homes in, you know, in neighborhoods where they're engulfed in, you know, in the community, but they're, they're also, you know, close to, um, a, uh, uh, you know, community center, I think is a, you know, great thing. Um, I think the fact that, you know, that they're, that they're thinking in terms of things like, um, you know, psychosocial support, <laughs> you know, the yeah. idea that, you know, that, that they're, that, that they're thinking about the, the emotional and, you know, and spiritual needs of these kids. And, and the fact that, that part of what they're doing to undergird that is they're creating permanent homes. They're not, you know, these are not, these are not homes where there's, where there's kind of an ebb and flow of kids that are coming and going and, and, you know, and house parents that are changing and all that. And, and I'm, you know, I'm careful. I don't want to throw stones because I think we, you know, all of the solutions that we find are, are ultimately, um, you know, even this one are imperfect solutions. Mm-hmm. But but I do think, um, you know, that they're they're on many of these fronts where where the 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 place that they've decided to um, to push toward or, or how they even decided to air is is, you know, kind of airing in a, you know, in a healthy place. Um, uh, you know, there, I mean, the one story that she told about um you know, about a young man that was, that was out and, and kind of out of the home, but yet he's, he's working and, you know, has a business and, but is, is also saving to help to provide a college education for another child in the home. Um, and so, you know, just a real healthy model of like a a brother providing for another brother and, and how, you know, they've kind of been able to make, um, you know, to make family out of the, you know, out of the midst of that mess. And, and that is, you know, that's really a, a beautiful thing, I, I think. Um, but always realizing that part of the wrestling we're doing in that is that, that we're, we're always entering into brokenness. We're always kind of, you know, wrestling with the imperfection and the fact that we, we're in these places because something went wrong and because there's brokenness. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely, man. You know, it's like, it's interesting. I, I actually got the had the pleasure of meeting the most of the team in, uh, in Otis, uh, last, um, I think it was November, October, November of last year. It's all starting to run together, but, um, just saw, you know, an Ethiopian team 
there doing some amazing work, uh, being able to, like you said, just really integrate into the community. They, you know, love that community. They're, they're talking about, like you said, psychosocial care. They're getting trained. Karen was able to train up some of these, uh, some of the people and the whole staff and the psychologists and the social workers to be able to understand trauma care, to understand attachment, to understand all these different things that we need to understand as we're doing this work. Um, for the leadership to understand that as well. We were able to do some organizational health training with the staff as well while we were there, um, which we've been talking about here on the show. And, and it's so important. And they are seeking that. They are seeking to better. They're seeking to, to really think about the model that they're, that they're using. And, and as you heard her talk about, she's talking about permanence, talking about family, talking about bringing together sibling groups and, you know, not just being a, a stopgap thing, you know, but to be able to create, create families, yeah. you know, and that was something that, that is what we're all, you know, seeking is, is this family based care, this elusive family based care in the midst of this upbroken world. Right. And we, we may have some different, you know, views of what, family quote-unquote family looks like right and part of that's cultural part of that is you know what we how we interpret scripture part of that's how we you know view it in in for various reasons right you know and and that's you know that's one of the areas where I you know I I thought you know I mean I still think about it and it's still something that challenges me is when we're talking about family-based care what do we mean right you know and in this yeah. interview you know it was clear you know in this in this family it's these it's these you know the women typically a single mom, single, you know, woman taking on, you know, the children in to her home. And that's the family that has become the solution, the forever family, as, as Marissa was talking about, you know, and, and I, that makes me, it makes me pause a little bit, you know, cause while I totally understand the alternative is very different reality um, you know, do we want to stop at that as, you know, kind of the gold standard, so to speak? And I'm not saying that Marissa is saying that's the gold standard. So I'm, this is kind of a side conversation because I haven't talked with Marissa about this. So I don't know all the details that have gone into it in the same way, like you said, I don't want to throw stones. But at the same time, you know, I've talked with folks like Randy Daniels, who was on the show recently, and we talk about the gold standard that we really want to set is, you know, mother and father for the children permanently right that's kind of what we're saying because there are roles that mothers fall play and fathers play and we need both and so to the extent we're not able to have that father in the home how can we so you know kind of create that father figure um you know and so i, I don't know i mean you know we've talked about it here on the show before but you know we talk about the broken world and we talk about creating solutions and substitute families for these children and I just fear that if we are setting the bar too low, we'll always hit it, but it yeah. may not be the best, right? Yeah. Whereas if we set the bar really, really high, we may not hit it all the time, but we'll hit closer to it than we would if we set the bar lower, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, and I think I would, you know, I would even point back to, um, you know, to something that they've, they've solved and something they've solved well, um, you know, they, you look at the, the idea that um, they've created a, a, a family-like model for care, but they, but they also haven't thrown the baby out with the bathwater um, and, and completely disregarded institutional care. Like if you, you know, if you, if you listen in the interview, one of the things Marissa talks about is the fact that they, that, that when kids first come in, they, you know, they're actually going to the children's center for a period of time and, and they're living in, an institutional environment because they're acknowledging that these kids are coming from, you know, deep places of hurt and, and from, you know, abuse and neglect and, and from difficult circumstances and traumatic backgrounds. And there's, there's a time of ministering to them in a different way and, you know, providing healing, but then, but then we're going to trend, they're going to transition from that into you know, something that is that is ultimately going to be their permanent family. And so I think they're, you know, they're very much using the the the, the using those tools in a profitable way um, and and kind of negotiating the tension of the imperfect that they're working in. And, and I but I, I, I resonate with you, bro. I, I think there's a there's a there's a part of this that we um, you know, we, we just need to 
acknowledge that in you know that God's design for family is um, is a is a mother and father. That's what we see. You know, that's what we see presented and what we see um, you know as the ideal in Scripture. And um, and 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 just wondering that. Let's don't give up on that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's don't re, let's don't redefine the standard. Um, and and that's not to say, and that's not to cast you know shadow in in you know single parent and 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 right. you know and, and and single dads and single moms and 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 in those households. But it is to say that 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 those things are like there there is there is some you know brokenness or lack or whatever. That's that's less than you know perhaps God's ideal and and how are we in this community wrestling in the tension of of saying how are how are we pressing toward that ideal so I understand exactly what you're saying there um, and I think they've you know they've shown a beautiful example if we kind of go back to you know to Marissa's work of of kind of working toward those ideals in other areas and I think it's a profitable conversation I'd love to hear you know what our listeners think about this and love to yeah. hear you know kind of their counsel I'd love to hear if there are any of any folks out there that are you know that feel like they've you know they've kind of wrestled to a point where they resolve that tension and and have you know a, a good model to offer or something we're always you know we always want to hear those things yeah absolutely you know I mean and that's the thing is it's it's not a perfect there's no perfect solution in brokenness, right? Because there's going to be some scar from that. There's going to be some less than ideal because ideal is perfect, right? That's ideal. Um, but, you know, like I said, you know, we got to, we can't change the, you know, have, a, have a moving target on what ideal is, right? That that doesn't change with culture. That doesn't right. change with, right. you know, the, the, you know, the times, so to speak. Like, that is, as you said, it's a biblical standard that we, you know, and that would be, I really want to hear, this is a conversation I want to have, but most people avoid, yeah. is what is family? Nobody wants to define it. And until we do, we're going to be having moving targets and we're going to be talking about family-based care and people are going to continue arguing about whether we're hitting that, right? And, you know, and that's yeah. that's fine to a certain extent, but... You know, it's something that we can't, you know, we're, we're, we want to really work together. Like we need to work together as we talk about all the time on the show. And I'm not saying that if we can't agree fully on, you know, I'm not going to say that it can't be a family. Everything can be a family. But when you talk about ideal, right, what's the gold standard? I'm not saying that's not a family. That's not a family. Of course, they're all families. Yeah. And these are families in Ethiopia. These are families in Slum to Family Project. They're fantastic families. They're incredible, thriving families. But that's not what I'm talking about here. Like I said, this is a this goes beyond the interview to a, yeah. you know, are we accepting a standard lower than what God is wanting us to? Well, you know? I remember I remember studying philosophy in you know first in undergrad and then in graduate school and you know coming away from kind of a deep level look at, at psychology. I mean at, at philosophy and having like identifying myself as a pragmatic idealist, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, like living with a foot in both worlds. Yeah. And, and, yep. and the reason was because, because like I, at, you know, at the heart of things, like I'm an idealist, man, I, I believe that there is an ideal because God created it because God, you know, there, and there is an ideal that we will move toward at some point when, you know, when Jesus reestablishes his, you know, kingdom and, and we're, we're in a new heaven and a new earth. And we've talked about, you know, those, I, those kinds of thoughts, theologically, you know, here many times before, but I think, but there's a pragmatic reality that we don't live day to day in those uh, in those ideals. And so I, I, it resonates with me. Um, and, and I think hopefully with a lot of our listeners that, that what is the standard that we hold up? What is the ideal that we strive toward realizing that, that we will never fully achieve that, but what is it we're trying to do? Um, and, and realizing that part of pragmatism is that we're not going to wait, we're not going to sit around and wait to do something until we can do it perfectly until we can hit the ideal. And, uh, and so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's a it's a great conversation for us to continue to have. Yeah, folks out there, please consider this conversation and not just, you know, don't just shut it off and throw the phone against the wall. <laughs> please don't do that because then I don't want to be at fault for cracking a screen. But, you know, I also don't want you guys to walk away saying, oh, Phil just doesn't care and he doesn't think I'm doing a good job and blah, blah, blah. 
you know, yeah, we at, at La Providencia in Honduras, it, where we're we're working to bring mom and dad into a home to have, you know, to create families in that way, you know, and that's something that is really really hard to do. So I totally get, like, when it's just like we have, like you said, it's a I I say hopeful realism because I'm not quite as you know, educated as you are in that regard. Um, and so it's smaller words, but it means the same thing. Um, I think, um, but, <laughs> but, uh, no, but it is, it's a hopeful realism, right? It's like, I'm realistic. I realize that we live in a real world on the ground and, you know, not, I literally have feet in both, in, in both, uh, pools, so to speak, you know, um, where, I'm saying, look, we have this reality going on in Honduras as well as, you know, doing the research and doing the podcast here and doing thought leadership and talking to people about all these different issues on how we can do things better. And so my, I'm just speaking at this from a standpoint of, you know, what is that ideal? What is the best we could do? Like if we were going to sit down and not say what's the reality, what's realistic in our situation and our culture and our funding and our whatever, What's the best we could do? And then let's keep trying to hit that. And if we have something that isn't that, what's missing? But if you don't have that ideal, you can't answer that question, what's missing? And if you can't answer the question, what's missing, you don't know what you need to fill it with. Right? Absolutely. We're always flying the plane and uh, building it all at the same time. And so there's, there's the reality that, that it's always unfinished business, but we're moving toward a goal for sure. So with that, we are going to go to recommendations today, and I have a couple movies today. So for uh, Phil and Dr. Rick recommend uh, (laughs) today, it's Phil again with a couple movies. So um, I actually had a trip recently, a long trip, a long flight, and I pretty much watched movies the whole time, and it was a good reprieve from reality. Um, and, uh, I got to watch instant family finally, which was a fun movie. Um, a lot of people in the orphan care space, um, are talking about this movie. It's a foster care movie that has a little tinge of foster to adopt in it. And it just goes over the top a little bit here and there, but it's a really funny movie that has a lot of reality to it. I'm not going to lie. I had some tears shedding on the plane. Um, here and there, both from laughter and from just, it's a moving movie, you know? And so, especially when we do this stuff, uh, day in and day out and we know the reality of it and we know the difficulties and we know the joys and we know all that. So, um, I definitely recommend instant family, Mark Wahlberg, and I'm forgetting the name of the, the woman who plays the mom in that movie, but the kids do a great job in that movie too. The other is a little different, definitely not a, uh, traditional, uh, you know, orphan and vulnerable children movie as you look at it, but it actually involved a bunch of them as you and I talked about already on the show, uh, Rick is that, you know, so many of these movies have that fatherless element in them. And this is the momentum generation. And it's about some of the best surfers the world has ever known. And it's in the nineties, they call it the momentum generation because when surfing really hit the world stage, and so it's different guys, Kelly Slater, Rob Machado, different names. If you're at all involved or had all any interest in surfing, you know these names, you know these guys. But most of them have broken families. Most of them, were, you know, surfing was their escape from reality. And they moved to Hawaii and they basically became a family out there. As we talk about family, they, they talked about it. And there's some quotes in that movie that, that really stuck with me. One is, the guy said, best feeling I had is that I just belonged. Mm. And that was after winning world titles because he had these friends. Mm. Um, but then they had these friendships that they said they became family. They were totally making each other better. They were cheering each other on. Um, but then competition came in. They never had competitions, but then they all started going for these world titles. Wow. And, they, and basically everything changed. And they, there was a quote by Kelly Slater, probably the world best surfer ever. And he said, competitiveness was taking its toll. It was sapping me of the joy of doing what I was doing. Another quote by another one of the guys, he said, now that the competition has been taken out of relationship, this was after the, after the fact, when they realized, what are we doing? He said, it's like we're kids again. You know, and it really stuck me, you know, it really hit me, you know, that this is like us mm-hmm. in, in this work we're doing. You know, if we let competition get into it, it will sap us of the joy of what we're doing. 
if we see it as us working together and making each other better and encouraging each other, we're going to have that joy. We're going to be able to cheer for each other, cheer each other on, see each other's successes as our successes, seeing our struggles as or their struggles as our struggles and vice versa. That's what this is about. That's what this journey can be. That's what this stuff can be. And I just hope and pray we make it happen. Like we see it when somebody comes in and says, I want to work with you. We don't look at it and go, what are you trying to get from me? You know, if let, let's have the assumption that they actually want to work with us in a, in a companion kind of way and let them prove us wrong. You know, <laughs> let's, you know, right. Prove, prove right. wrong. Because I think too many people go into it now with, what do you want? What do you right. want? It's defensive. Walls go up and it's like you have to go through a, you know, a background check with fingerprinting and, you know, FBI background check to be able to do a little project together because people yeah. are so worried about what people are doing. So it was a, an unexpected lesson um, that I got from that movie, which was just, it was a, it's an HBO movie. So I don't, a lot of people probably aren't even going to be able to get it. But if you can, if you have access to it, even if you don't care at all about surfing, it's, it was a very, very well made, um, and just a really. It was it was a fantastic, fantastic uh, documentary that I was able to watch. So awesome! Yeah, what are your thoughts on all that, Rick? Man, did that just changed your uh, life. It did absolutely. I'm uh, I'm gonna go and uh, grab my surfboard and run right out here in Alabama in the rain and go surfing. Fantastic, fantastic. Um, can you film that, please? <laughs> If I did, we would make a fortune. That that's that would be that'd be that'd be fun. That would be fun. So I actually just watched Ralph Breaks the Internet as well, which uh, was another fun movie. But they have they have some uh, you know zoo, what do they call it? It's like Zoom Tube or something. It was like YouTube, but you know broke the internet. So we we would definitely break the internet with that. So absolutely. Anyway, um, with that, folks, uh, you know you never know what you're going to get here. You never know what you're going to get here. Just throwing that out there. If you're still with us, you know that already. Um, if you're still with us, I really hope that you, you know, there's so much fodder here for your comments. If you don't comment and get to us about something about this episode, you know, I don't know what it's going to take. Just just throwing <laughs> that out there. Just throwing that out there, folks. So I hope that you engage it, engage it today. Anyway, and I really also, as I always do, I hope and pray that you take what you learned today. You take some of this stuff that we've been talking about, um, some of the things that you learned from Marissa and Karen in that interview, and you use it to help you to love orphan and vulnerable children better and better each and every day. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.